Take your Bible tonight, go to the book of 2 Samuel, you find chapter 21, 2 Samuel chapter 21, and we'll read a little bit tonight, and uh, look at the thought the Lord has for us. You glad to be in church? Say amen. I appreciate the good spirit of the Lord that was with us last night, and believe in God to help us tonight, and aren't you thankful that we have a place like this in times like this. And I'm thankful that God's given us not only a place to come, but He's given us the promise of His Spirit. We ought to be in love with the Bible. Somebody say amen. If we've got any other agenda when we get to the house of God than the Bible, we've got our heart in the wrong place. We need a revival of the Bible. And that's where we're going to get our help And if it doesn't come out of this Word, it's not going to last very long. Somebody say amen. Look at 2 Samuel 21. Stand up with me. And uh, 2 Samuel chapter 21. And uh, let's begin reading verse number 1. When you find it, let me hear you say amen. amen. We looked last night at the life of a young man by the name of Mephibosheth. He was a fellow that was fallen, and he was broken. Is there any broken people in the house tonight? Messed up. But thank God his story did not end there. He was fallen, but oh, bless God, he was forgiven. And in his brokenness, now watch this, he did not become completely healed, but he was better than he was before. That's what God does in our life when He saves us. He doesn't completely correct everything that's wrong with us. We're still broken, but praise God, we're better than we were before. There is a third mention of Mephibosheth that we'll not look at this week in my time here. But there is a mention of him, I believe in chapter 15, and also in chapter 19. Mephibosheth is found to be a faithful man. David comes, and through a series of events, David takes away all the blessings that he had given Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth said, David, I don't need the blessings as long as you're on the throne. That's the only thing that matters. How many of you believe this, that we ought to love him, not for what he does, but for who he is? I'm going to need some help right here. He will do some things we don't understand. And there will be some days that we can't see him, but oh, thank God, we ought to be like Mephibosheth, and we ought to abide faithful in those days. Now, where we've come tonight is the last mention of Mephibosheth in your Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 21, and let's begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Then there was a famine in the days of David, Three years, year after year, David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. The king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, And Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. This is what David said. What shall I do for you? Now look at me right here. Look at me right here. There is a curse 
that has come upon the land. The curse has come because Saul's sin is still reaping its dividends. And they're paying a price for the sin of Saul. David brings in the Gibeonites and he says, What do we have to do that we can handle this? Now, look in verse number 3. What shall I do for you, and wherewith shall I make the atonement, that I may bless the inheritance of the Lord? The Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul, nor of his house, neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, What ye shall say, that will I do for you. They answered the king, I like this, the man. They said the one that done it is the one that ought to have to pay for it. The man that consumed us and that devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coast of Israel, let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us. And we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. Now notice verse uh, number 7. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, whom she bare unto Saul, Armani and Mephibosheth. And the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillia, the Mahalite, and he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites. And they hanged them in the hill before the Lord. Let's pray tonight. Father, we do love you. We do thank You for Your goodness and for Your grace. God, I pray that as we open up the Word of God, and as we attempt to look into the bread of life, I pray that the honey of the Holy Ghost might saturate the bread. God, may it settle down in our heart. God, may there be a revival take place as we recognize what You have done for us. God, I cannot and I will not do this on my own. But I lean wholeheartedly on your help, and I'm trusting you, and I'm believing you to do what only you can do. I love you, and I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, and God's people say, Amen. You can be seated. (coughs) We have seen Mephibosheth as a fallen man. We have seen Mephibosheth as a forgiven man. I mentioned to you earlier that he was also found to be a faithful man. But on the occasion of which we will look tonight, Mephibosheth is a free man. How many of you know that ye shall know the truth, and the truth is what brings freedom into our life? Mephibosheth is a free man. Matter of fact, he is a free man Because he is a bought man. Oh, I want to say to you tonight, we are not our own, but we have been bought with a price. I am free 
But I am not free because it was free. I am free because the price has already been paid. As we look at chapter 21, I am reminded here that the wages of sin is always death. Can somebody help me right there? Let's try that again. The wages of sin is always death. It may not come today, but it is going to show up. The bill may not come in the mail tomorrow, but the balance is still due. The wages of sin is death. And when we sow in sin, we will reap that which we have sown. Saul has sinned against God. Though Saul is dead, though Saul is off the scene, he is out of the picture, the actions of his wickedness are still raising a crop in the land of Israel. And there is a price to be paid. Ladies and gentlemen, can I say to you tonight that every one of us that are descendants of Adam, there is a price that has to be paid. Not only for the sins of Adam, but for the sins that we have committed and for the sin that we were born into, there is a price that must be paid. Everybody wants to talk about a loving God, and He is a loving God. Everybody wants to talk about a God that forgives, and He is a God that forgives. But if He was not a God that judged, there'd be no rejoicing in His mercy. If He was not a God that condemned, there'd be no praise in His forgiveness. But thank God, it is the heaviness of justice that gives us joy in our freedom tonight. The wages of sin is now coming and it is calling upon the house of Saul that there should be a payment for his sin. And I'm glad to say that Mephibosheth He may be fallen, but he is forgiven. And thank God when the sin of his forefathers comes to his house, he can say, I am a free man. I want to show you tonight three things, if the Lord will let me and if you'll help me, concerning this free man that Mephibosheth is. There are three things that we have read in our text tonight that Mephibosheth has been freed from because he's been bought. And I think you'll see ourselves here tonight. First of all, notice this. He is free from the curse. He is free from the curse. The debt collector of sin has picked up the tab that Saul left standing. David goes to the Gibeonites and he says, what shall we do? The Gibeonites said, the man that did this is the one that ought to have to pay. David explains to them, Saul's dead. He's no longer here. And they said, if Saul cannot pay, then let seven of his descendants pay the price for his sin. Ladies and gentlemen, Adam is not here, but his debt still has to be paid. They come and they now are calling on the ancestors of Saul that they might pay the debt of his sin. I can see the debt collector of sin as it knocks on Mephibosheth's door and he comes and he opens the door. 
The debt collector says, there's a sin that must be paid for. Saul disobeyed God. There is a curse on the land because Saul defiled the Word of God. And Saul stands in debt. And as the next of kin, Mephibosheth, you must pay his price. Mephibosheth said, I'm sorry, you've got the wrong house. The Gibeonites could say, no, 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 we know what Saul looks like and you have his features. You cannot deny that you're a descendant. Mephibosheth says, I'm sorry, you've got the wrong house. They say, excuse me, was not your grandfather Saul? Yes, he was. Was not your father Jonathan? Yes, he was. Then you are under the curse and you must pay the price. And Mephibosheth says, hang on just a second. I have to explain something. Glory, hallelujah. He said, I have to explain something to you. I am the grandson of Saul. I am the son of Jonathan. I know that their DNA, it's in my body. Their bloodline flows through my veins. But before you collect their debt, I've got to tell you, there's been a change. There's been an adoption. And I was born them, but I'm not them now. What did we see last night? David said to Mephibosheth, I want you to eat bread at my table continually as one of my sons. He was born a descendant of Saul, but thank God he has been adopted. And when he was adopted, his debt was canceled. He's no longer an heir to Saul's curse. Now look at me right here. You and I were born the sons of Adam and the daughters of Adam. We were born corrupt. We were born in line to pay the debt of that sin curse. But oh, thank God, when death comes calling, we can say, thank God, you got the wrong house. Nobody lives here by that name anymore. I was born that way, but I have been adopted into the family again. Read a story about a young lady that her and her husband could not have children, and they adopted a son. And shortly after they adopted, God moved, and they had one by natural birth. And here they have one son that is adopted and one that is their own. One day they were in the supermarket, and the two boys close to the same age were playing in the buggy. And uh, it, it is a buggy. Can I get a witness right there? It's a cart for a Yankee. It's a buggy if you're from the South. Say amen. Those boys were sitting in the buggy. And a lady come up behind them and she was talking to them. And she said, uh, are y'all brothers? And they said, yes, ma'am, we are. And then she said, well, you don't look like brothers. And that young mother there, just mortified, didn't want to hurt the feelings of that little adopted son. Before she could say anything, that little adopted boy spoke up. He said, oh, no, ma'am. He said, we don't look alike because I've been adopted. He said, do you know what adopted means? She said, why don't you tell me? He said, adopted means we've got a different face, but we've got the same family. And can I tell you tonight that every one of us that are here, we come from different places. We come from different walks of life. But we were all the descendants of Adam. We were all 
full heir to the curse of sin's death. But thanks be to God, we may not look the same on the outside. We may not have the same family tree here. But praise His holy name, we have been adopted by the Son of God. And now, when the sin debtors come to collect, I can say, you got the wrong number because there's been a change in my name. I have some good friends over in Coleman, Alabama, that adopted some young children. As a matter of fact, I believe I told that story here last year. I was preaching on the book of Ruth and how they took that little boy and that little girl. They shared with me about the day of the adoption of those two children. They went down to the courthouse and said they sat across the table, across the desk from the judge. The judge looked at them and said, I have to ask you this. Is anyone coercing you to adopt these children? Or are, here was his words, or are you doing it out of your own free will? They said, no one has coerced us. We're taking them because we love them. He said, if you are choosing them because it is out of your own heart and out of your own motives, he said, from this day, these children will be your children. Every need they have, you'll be responsible to meet. Every problem they face, you'll face it with them. Here's what he told them. He said, there may come a time when they embarrass you, when they hurt you, and when there is difficulty. But from this day forward, they will be your children because they will be adopted into your family. And he went on to say this, everything that you have one day will be theirs because they are yours by adoption. Ladies and gentlemen, I sure am glad tonight that one day the great God of all glory sat down in the courtroom of heaven and thank God He didn't choose me because He had to. He didn't love me because He was forced to. It was of His own free will that He chose to let me in the family. And everything I have, I have because of Him. Everything He has, He's given to me. And praise God, I may embarrass Him. I may hurt Him. But I'm His child because He has a Adopted me. There is a spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Oh, Mephibosheth may have been born a descendant of Saul. He may have been raised as the heir of Jonathan. But when the sin debt came, the curse was lifted because he had been adopted. Aren't you glad tonight? You and I do not have to answer the phone when the debt collector of sin calls because we are free from the curse. Somebody holler amen right there. He's free from the curse. But not only is he free from the curse, he is also, in our text, he is free from the cross. There is a cross in chapter 21. How many of you love that King James Bible? Say amen. I'm not looking for another one. I'm not interested in another one. Matter of fact, if somebody leaves another one at our church, we'll put it on the back table. We'll give them about half a Sunday to claim it, and then it goes in the dumpster. Say amen right there. 
You say you shouldn't throw away a Bible. We didn't throw away a Bible. I said we threw away something other than a King James Version Bible. If that bothers you, I'll sign your Bible tonight and I'll put you were bothered on the third day of March by Brother Jonathan McNeese. We'll commemorate. It'll be a wonderful thing in your life. The King James Bible is written by God on purpose. And there are words in this text that are there that they might point us to an event greater than the hanging of seven sons of Saul. Can I say to you that this cross that's coming, the Bible says in verse number 7, look at your Bible, everybody look at your Bible, but the king spared, who, say it out loud, Mephibosheth. Now go to verse number 8. There's no errors in this Bible. There's no mistakes here. But the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, whom she bare unto Saul, Armani and who? Say it out loud. Mephibosheth. Look at me. There's two boys in this text that carry the same name. Oh, hallelujah. They have the same grandfather. They have the same father, so to speak. They are of the same bloodline. They have the same family heritage. And they're both named Mephibosheth. They both stood guilty as descendants of Saul. They both stood as candidates to pay for the sin debt of their family tree. But thank God, ain't it amazing that, oh, hallelujah, ain't it amazing that yet they are so alike. There's been a change. And though they are so much alike, their lives could not be any different because one is headed to a cross, but another is covered by a covenant. There's two boys here named Mephibosheth. One of them is the son of Saul, one of them is the son of Jonathan. Both of them of that family tree. Both of them that stood in line worthy of death and punishment. But because of a covenant, our Mephibosheth goes free. But because of the curse, the other Mephibosheth heads to the cross. Look at me right here. Ain't nothing special about you and I. Well, I could use more than one moldy amen right there. Let's try that again. There ain't nothing special about you and I. There's nothing about us that makes us exempt from the curse and from the cross except for the fact that one day... We were the beneficiaries of a covenant that exempted us from a cross. I like what the old song says, I should have suffered and died. I should have been crucified. But thank God, Jesus Christ took my place on the cross. And where I was headed for a cross, He intercepted my path with a covenant. That's right. Amen. Bible language here. Look in verse number 3. Here's Calvary language. David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you, and wherewith shall I make thee what atonement? Don't that remind you of Calvary? You know what the word atonement means? It means a covering. David said, There is sin that's brought a curse on this land. And he said, before, oh glory, before the curse can be lifted, there has to be a covering for that sin. Somebody has to pay the price. And David said, what shall we do that we shall make an atonement 
Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. There had to be an atonement made on the cross of Calvary. If there was any other way, He would not have gone up Golgotha's hill. He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. But there was no other way. There was no other possibility. There was no other path that led to the covering of man's sin. David said, what shall we do that will cover it, that I can make an atonement for the sin of Saul? Notice what they said in verse number 4. The Gibeonites said unto him, here's some more Calvary language, We will have no silver nor gold. Amen. They said there is a debt that must be paid, and it cannot be bought with corruptible things such as silver and gold. You cannot buy your way out of this difficulty. No amount of money can lift the curse and exempt them from the cross. Can I say to you, the Bible says, we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but thank God, we're bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The Gibeonites said, silver and gold can't pay this price. Boy, it's starting to sound like Calvary to me, ain't it you? Verse number 4, nor of his house. Neither for us shalt thou kill, watch this, any man in Israel. You know what they said? You just can't go get somebody off the street and kill them and let them pay the price for what's happened. They said, it's got to be a descendant of Saul. Now look at me right here. Why did Jesus become flesh? Because it had to be an heir of Adam that paid the price for Adam's sin. They said, you can't just pick somebody and kill them. How many of you know... If somebody come up and said, all right, seven people's got to die, give us some names, it wouldn't take me long to get them a list together. Somebody say amen. I'd say, are you sure you just need seven? I mean, let's, let's make sure we got it all taken care of. They said, it can't just be anybody. It can't just be anybody. It can't be just any man. And not just, listen to me, nobody could pay the debt for your sin except for you. Mama can't get you saved. Daddy can't get you saved. Preacher can't get you saved. There's only one. It is those that stand responsible that have to pay the price for their own sin. This is not just anybody. Can't be just anybody. Watch this. Verse number 6. But let seven men of his sons... Now, what's number 7 in your Bible? It's the number of completion. By sending seven sons... Of Saul, they were admitting that all of Saul's family stood guilty for what he had done. And ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus died on the cross, He was the complete sacrifice for mankind. When Jesus died, hey, glory! When Jesus died on the cross, He paid the price, and it signified that all of man was guilty. But thank God, not only was all of man guilty, but the debt had been paid for all of man. No, it's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come unto everlasting life. You mark it down, honey. He didn't die for just some. He didn't die for just a chosen few. He died as the ultimate payment for the ultimate sin. He was the complete sacrifice. Just as all seven of them had to die as a sign of perfection, of completion, so Jesus was the complete sacrifice as He went to the cross. 
that interesting? Go to verse number 9. And David delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites. You know what the Bible says in Mark chapter 15? And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus. David here delivers these boys to the cross. Pilate, same word, delivered Jesus under the cross. What a picture of Calvary. Notice what happens in our text. Verse number 9, he delivered them, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord. They were delivered. Are you all hearing me tonight? They were delivered. They were led outside of town to a hill far away where they were placed on a tree. Are you hearing me tonight? And they paid the price for their own sin. They went to a cross. They hung on a tree that they may pay the sin debt that they owed. Ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly where I should have been. That is exactly, hey, glory, that's where you ought to be. Every one of us should have been delivered up to the debt that we owed. We should have been led out of town, hung on a tree, and died for our sin. But thank God, I'm not going to a cross because I've had a covenant. They paid the price. Listen to me. They paid the price for their own sin because they were outside of the covenant. Two Mephibosheths. One of them goes to a cross and he hangs and he dies on a tree for a sin debt that he inherited. But there's another Mephibosheth. Woo, hallelujah. He's sitting back at the house, safe by the fireplace where he can hear the voice of his king because he don't have to go to a cross because he's already been covered by covenant. You know what a covenant is? You know what a covenant is? Come here, Brother Toby. A covenant in the Bible is this. It's not a promise. It's not a promise. A covenant is not even between two people. A covenant is made before God. Here's what a covenant is. Now stay right here. Here's what a covenant is. They would take the body of a lamb, of a sheep, of an animal. They would cut that body most of the time into four pieces or into multiple small pieces. They would place the dead body of that animal all over the ground. They would take the blood of that animal and they would pour it out in between the body parts of that animal. Hey, glory. And then the two that were entering into the covenant before God, they would place their arms together. And they would take their shoes off. And they would begin to walk through that blood between the divided body of that little lamb. And they would make promises to one another. David and Jonathan made a covenant. And David said to Jonathan... I will take care of your family. Jonathan says to David, I know that Saul has fallen, and I know that Saul is corrupt, and I know there'll come
on. And when that day comes, will you watch over my family? David says to Jonathan, I'll take them in like my own. I'll feed them like my own. I'll protect them like my own. And I will prepare and protect and preserve your offspring. And here's what he would say. He said to him, The blood that's been poured out, the body that's been rent, if I fail to keep my end of the bargain, so God do to me as has been done to this little lamb. You can be seated. And a covenant has been made through blood that was shed. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me tonight. Through blood that was shed and a body that was broken, there was a promise made not from man to man, but from God to man. And now there is protection in the covenant. I should have hung and bled and died for my fallen, broken, wicked condition. But thank God, on a hill called Calvary, God the Father, hey, glory, took arms with God the Son. And they walked through the broken body of Christ and that spilled out blood. And God the Son and God the Father made a covenant. And thank God when the sin debt comes calling it, it says you ought to go to the cross. I can say you're right, but I don't have to because I'm under the covenant. I don't have to go to the cross. <laughs> Mephibosheth is free from the curse and he's free from the cross. But I want you to notice something lastly tonight. I want you to notice that he's free from the coffin. Now, there's something that happens here, and I've preached this, probably you have. Most fellas end up here at some point in this text. The Bible says in verse number 9, look at it, the, the middle of it, And they fell all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days in the beginning of barley harvest. Now, look at verse 10. And Rizpah, that some of them's mother, the daughter of Ai took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beast of the field by night. Look at me right here. They died on their cross. Can somebody say amen? They have paid the price for their father's sin. Saul. Their ancestral inherited corruption. They paid the price. Now watch what happens. Their bodies come down off that cross. And Rispa takes them and she puts them on a rock. And the Bible says by day she ran the buzzards off and the crows. By night she ran the coyotes off and the jackals and the wolves and the varmints. And she protects these dead decaying, stinking, corrupt bodies. For six months, she stands guard as they deteriorate, as they stink, as they decay, as they blacken, as they begin to dry out in that sun. For six months, she stands guard over their bodies. Why? Why? Why would anybody 
do such a thing. Because Rizpah understood that cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. Can I say something? I don't want to be ugly or rude right here, but can I say something to you? Everybody don't go to heaven when they die. That's right. I'm going to try that over here and see if anybody else believes that. Everybody don't go to heaven when they die. I've been pastoring 13 years. I've been preaching 26 years. I've been to a whole lot of funerals. But Brother Toby, I've never been to a funeral where anybody died and went to hell. He could have died beating his wife with one arm and putting a heroin needle in the other. And some little noodle back preacher will get up and say, he was a good man and he's in a better place. No, he's not. You do know that people die and go to hell, don't you? You do know that it, that everybody that dies and gets brought down in a coffin, they're not all running and skipping on the hills of glory. There are people that die and go to hell. You know what Rispa knew that this generation don't want to admit? She knew where them boys were. She knew that they had died a cursed death for sin. And she knew that they were not skipping on the hills of glory, but they were paying the ultimate price for their depravity. Why would you weep six months over decayed, stinking bodies? Because she knew that when they finally took them, That'd be the last time she'd ever see him. And so she wept. And so she chased off jackals. And so she fought off coyotes. And so she swung at buzzards. Because those boys' lives were over. And when they went to the grave, she'd never have any peace of them again. Everybody don't go to heaven. And we're not going to see everybody again. Because some folk die and go to hell. And the grave is not final because they have eternal death. They don't have eternal life. Hell's a place of eternal death. If we're saved, we've got eternal life. We're going to live forever in glory. But they die forever in hell. But the grave is final because you'll never see... Hey, there ain't no family reunions in hell. Ain't nobody hugging one another in hell saying, I'm so glad to see you. Hell is a place of eternal death. And Rispa knew that those decaying, rotting carcasses of her boys was the all she had left of them. How sad. How sad. How sad. I've heard her preached on as a valiant mother. She may, not, she was, she may have been valiant. But she was fighting over something that she'd never have again. That's right. How sad. How sad. But there's another Mephibosheth in this text. <laughs> and thank God when he dies, oh glory, when he dies, you don't have to fight the jackals and you don't have to swing at the buzzards and you don't have to hold on to his rotten flesh for six months. You can go ahead and put him in the ground because you will see him again one day. <laughs> you don't have to sit up all night weeping and sorrowing. Yes, we will sorrow, but we sorrow not as others which have no hope. <laughs> Wherefore, comfort one another. With these words, but how are you going to comfort Rispa? 
How are you going to comfort a rispa who knows that they died and went to hell? There are no words of comfort. I don't know. I don't know how Mephibosheth died, but I can tell you the end of his story. David told it to us last night when he said he shall eat bread at the king's table continually. (laughs) See, when Mephibosheth dies, he may not be at David's table, but he's still sitting at the king's table. And nobody here is going to live forever. It's a point when a man wants to die. Everybody's going to walk through that door of death at some point. But when I die, you don't have to mourn for my body and you don't have to weep over this, over this flesh because I'm free from the coffin. I'll be yonder in the presence of the King. Come on, piano, Brother Brandon. I've stood by graves that were way too short. I've held hands with parents that had to bury children way too young. I've stood by believers as we've buried their spouses of 60 years. I've held the hands of young families who had no explanation why death had come to their house. It's such an odd time in life. Brother Toby, there's one thing I could say to every child of God who's buried a saved loved one. I think we take it for granted because we think it applies to everybody and it doesn't. But there's one thing I've been able to say is it's not goodbye. It's see you later. You know why? Because we're free from the coffin. We're free from the coffin. That baby that died, thank God you'll see him again. (laughs) That child that passed on before they even knew what life was, thank God we'll see him again. If you've got a loved one that was saved by the grace of God and they stood under a covenant instead of on a cross, they're free from the coffin. And we don't have to mourn. We don't have to sit out for six months getting the last out of our memories with them because the best is yet to come.